Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movement Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're talking to Nathan Shank about that age-old problem of managing both depth and breadth in a multiplying movement. I began by asking Nathan what he thought of the criticism that movements tend to sacrifice depth for breadth. You know, uh, I think that that particular criticism sits well with me. Meaning, I, th- I believe, when you were to, if you were to walk into a movement and you were to look at what the breadth of what God is doing, it is natural and it is, it is right. I think it's the Spirit of God in, impulse to ask the question, what about depth? I think that that, that comes with a pure, as pure a motive as you can get in, in, in critique. And so that's one we... If that's criticism, a concern for depth is criticism, that's one we want to take on the chin over and over again. And to the degree that criticism pushes you back to the Word of God, man, it is welcome. You know, bring it on. Let's uh, let's wrestle with those things. We had a a brother on on this very topic a few years ago. He came out and he looked and he met some partners and he saw some things that that no doubt, even in his own confession, were clearly a work of the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. And he, his response stuck with me. Uh, he said, Nathan, everywhere we look, everywhere you look, we see you guys getting the book of Acts right. Hey, look what's happening. Hmm. Look, you get to walk in the book of Acts. You see God multiplying, moving from addition to multiplication and all this. He said, with the book of Acts going so well, how are the epistles doing in your ministry? Mm-hmm. How are you doing with the epistles? That stuck with me, Steve, because that's a, that's a crit- critique. That's a, a concern that coming from his heart that is clearly spirit-driven. He's saying you have a desire to be biblical, and, and isn't that the truth? We all want so badly to see the spontaneous expansion of the book of Acts. We're praying for it, and we're daily on our face. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not right that these vast multitudes are plunging off into eternity without you. Do something, Lord. Do something like Acts. We, we, we pursue that, right? In the same breath, in some cases, Paul had to deal with, while he's looking at the book of Acts unfolding right in front of him, his heart, his concern is the epistles. What that, that really is the biblical answer and response to the concern for depth. How did Paul facilitate? What was his motives? What were his concerns? What was his even methods at times in, in dealing with some of those challenges of depth and some of those challenges of, of heresy and other things? We have the playbook, Steve. Okay. We have it right with us. It's, it's called the epistles. Yeah, the epistles doing and the scripture sufficient to answer those things all those concerns we'd have anxieties and concerns daily we'd face for all the churches we have fellowship with paul in that and so, so, so what, what is the response from the epistles because sometimes behind that criticism is well you should be putting these guys into bible colleges before you let them plant churches well and i think that 
when the when the concern we would face is clearly at work in Paul's life, meaning he carried the same, a similar impulse for maturity and impulse of concern for those those churches last. I mean, I remember him writing uh, in Thessalonians, my concern was that our labor had been in vain among you. But Timothy has just now come, and he's told us about your, your faith, hope, and love, you know. Um, and it, where those concerns are biblical, the biblical response needs to be our model. And Steve, uh, Paul's response didn't include push pause on everything, everybody stop sharing, everybody stop going wider until we can deal with depth. The, the pace of movement, and this is one of the, the, the responses I, I, is always there in my heart when we hear concerns about breadth and the width of a movement, that you're a mile wide and an inch deep, and concerns for the pace, you know, of movement, what uh, even criticisms on the word rapid that have so often come up in like our definition of CPM and things like that. And we'd look around and we'd ask the question, Steve, who was it that suggested we were setting the pace? We've been praying, haven't we, for, for, for laymen, for every believer to carry the compulsion to go out and win their neighbors, to share, to love the lost enough to share the gospel with them. And where the Holy Spirit is sparking that compulsion in their heart, and he's giving, he's germinating that seed that they sow in, in the form of new life among new believers, who is it to say that we're the ones setting the breath? Who is it to, that, to suggest we're setting the pace? And we've got to be careful even accepting some of that criticism. Because in fact, if we accept the criticism for, for width or for pace, it's in some ways we're accepting credit for something that we aren't accomplishing because it's only God who gives life. It's, it's really Him. It's His Holy Spirit that sets the pace. So be careful of accepting the criticism on pace, because in fact you might be accepting credit for the fruit. And brother, that's not that's not our task. That's something only the Holy Spirit can control. So we cast the seed as broadly as we can, and certainly we apply the, you know, the biblical the principles of whosoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whosoever sows generously will reap generously. And and uh, I realized that was about the gift to Jerusalem, but it certainly applies to our evangelistic seed sowing as well. And where we're carrying the stewardship for the controllables, that piece of who will hear the gospel, not necessarily who will respond favorably, that work is a work of the Holy Spirit. We, we're going to continue so widely. Now, when Paul faced those challenges, when Paul faced those concerns of width, his, his response is also recorded for us in the biblical uh, you know, uh, text, and we can see it. his response was never slow down. His response was never uh, stop sharing out on the edge. His response was to dig his heels, to, to 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 speak back into movement, to send those emissaries, to bring correction in certain areas. But his response always included faith in the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. conviction over the Word of God as the guide, as the schoolmaster that would lead to the examination of worldview, that would lead uh, those believers toward maturity. And it's a, it's another misnomer to, to assume, it's another false assumption to assume that our presence 
in that scenario, in that that uh, that challenge that they might be facing, is the solution. Uh, I, I'm amazed that Steve, you realize the epistles that we have, and the challenges faced by the Galatians. There it was a matter of uh, circumcision and legalism sneaking back, and even into the the core of the gospel, and his great concern there, or the challenges faced by the Corinthians, or even the Thessalonians who were doing so well, and yet they were hearing false teaching about the second coming, Mm -hmm. and other things. Every one of his epistles carries challenges with false teaching, or issues of morality, or even the doctrine of salvation, as the case with the Galatians. And yet those epistles exist because somewhere, as Paul had moved on in his missionary journeys, somewhere news of those challenges reached his ears through emissaries coming back and forth, carrying those challenges. And the epistles exist because Paul did not drop everything and go fix it. Hmm. Those epistles exist because Paul was prioritizing remaining on the edge in pioneer fields and chose instead of dropping everything to go and with his presence fix the issue, he would write them a letter. Hmm. And he would push the responsibility and with pointed correction, mind you, he spoke as a father would speak to his sons, his children. But he didn't drop everything to go fix it. Rather, he pointed to Scripture Uh, even wrote them scripture as we know and as we can see clearly in hindsight and challenged to put the impetus of correction back in their court. You guys know what you need to do about this. Expel the immoral brother. Hmm. You guys know what you need to do about this. When you come together, it shouldn't be that some go ahead and, and eat and even get drunk with the Lord's Supper while others are hungry. You guys fix this. Hmm. And and uh, the impetus for correction and maturity was always pushed back into the local setting, where leaders were need were forced to emerge out of correction, where worldview was had to be examined, because these issues that naturally emerged, uh, had, again with directive instruction at times, highly directive instruction. Paul pushed correction back into their court. You guys fix this. So he's he's dealing, you're saying, with the whole breadth and depth issue. On both, he's still going for breadth. He's still pushing yes. forward. But as he does that, he hasn't abandoned the people left behind. He's speaking into it. He's writing a letter. He's sending someone. But because he's expecting them to step up. In 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 yeah. in obedience to the word and and uh, following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, so that the Book of Acts details his journeys, pushes him across those different Roman provinces, and he's always prioritizing the pioneer field with his presence. Right. But the epistle ministry exists because he clearly had a a lingering or an ongoing concern for the health of those churches, for the examination of that worldview, for the the transformation of the morality and other things, that he would circle back through his, his, his disciples' comings and goings, you know, and the epistle ministry to bring at times highly directive correction. Hmm. Stop getting drunk on the Lord's Supper, Corinthians. Explore, expel the immoral brother. Stop taking each other to court, you know. Uh, but all of that through letter writing, 
uh, be, ultimately forced the Corinthians to stand up, to practice their priesthood, to examine their worldview, to examine the scripture for that matter, and, uh, and through uh, even a, almost a Matthew 18 scenario, bring correction internally. And that was the responsibility, uh, even authority for that correction pushed to the local setting, the local church, uh, to deal with those issues. Well, and interestingly, he, he's addressing the whole church. It's not just a private letter to a group of leaders. That's um, true. That's it's, true. It's the you know, whole body of Christ is expected to deal with this. That's right. It was constantly a corporate expectation. He expected them to corporately deal with those issues, wrestle with them. Uh, one interesting piece, you know, Steve, we believe in uh, not just priesthood of the believer or autonomy of the church. I personally believe in a congregational polity that churches churches need to wrestle with each other in decision making. In, in missiology, that's called self-governing, right? Mm-hmm. Or self-correcting is, is kind of our new spin on self-theologizing. Not that they reinvent the theological wheel. They, there's value in Paul speaking into the theology, the doctrine of those churches he left behind, clearly. But self-correcting, that it was the Corinthians' job, 1 Corinthians all the way into 2 Corinthians, to deal with the immoral, immoral issue in 1 Corinthians 5. The brother who had, had fallen into immorality. And he, he even follows up with that good job in 2 Corinthians. Now restore the brother, you know. But he pushes that corporate responsibility back to the Corinthians. You know, there's a beauty in, it's, it's what are the, what's the word, the salutations, all the endings of Paul's letters. Mm. It's, they're almost like the genealogies in the Gospels. We skip over them, right? So you've got Demas, and you've got Epaphroditus, and you've got Epaphras, and you've got all these brothers coming and going here and there. There's a beauty in those chunks of Scripture because they all provide a context into which we can look back into Acts, and we can actually place the epistles, in Mm. many cases, into the timeline of Acts. That's true for the Corinthian correspondence, for the Thessalonians, for Romans, for, in some cases, Galatians. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a little more debated as far as the timeline. But those letters had a real-time context. And then, of course, even post-third journey with the prison epistles, you know, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon. Those letters have a context. Yeah. And Holy Spirit inspired those those salutations to help us put them back into the timeline and realize, my goodness, he's writing Thessalonians to churches in their infancy. Hmm. And he's dealing in Corinthians in the three to five year window after that those churches were birthed to realize, oh, wow, if Paul faced those struggles with his church plants, Paul, the great model missionary, faced those challenges of worldview and morality and doctrine church polity, even leadership challenges, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, factions, all those things that the Corinthians faced, it's almost as if the Holy Spirit was saying, expect this in your ministry. Mm. You want to see the book of Acts? You, you're praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done? Expect these challenges to arise if you're, if you're seeing spontaneous expansion. And, and we as church planters, we as movement catalysts, those pursuing movement, we, will have, we carry the same responsibility to stay, mind you, to stay in a foundation 
fledgling role in a pioneer context, but to speak back into, in some cases, networks that we've even left behind, as a father would speak to his children, to bring correction, to bring examination, to, to challenge corporate responsibility toward maturity. I think those are all catalysts for, the, for emerging leadership to stand up. I think those are catalysts toward right, those maybe church functions that are more tied to maturity, like, like uh, church discipline uh, and, and the implications for the ordinances in that case. Um, uh, congregational polity, where there's what we call self-governing or self-correcting within, within missiology to bring correction in those scenarios. And this is what I was going to say earlier, uh, Steve, is that we practice, we believe in priesthood, we believe personally in, uh, in autonomy of the local church, that each church should be uh, self-governing, self-supporting, that's what we mean by autonomy, you know. We believe in congregational polity, that, and this is why. It is, when we look at corporate responsibility, for morality, for theology, for examining worldview. When we, when we practice corporate responsibility, meaning that the, the, the impetus for correction is ultimately in the hands of the local church, in some cases that we've even left behind, we're actually, uh, it, it seems grossly inefficient. Mm-hmm. From a worldly perspective, you'd look and you'd say, no, no, a church government that is more hierarchical, that just says everybody march, almost like a military form of government where there are, or uh, everybody advances in rank, you know, and and uh, at some point, in, in, whether it's the Pope or not, or some other uh, level of leadership, you know, it's far more efficient. I think Constantine agreed, by the way. It's far more efficient to have a hierarchical church government. Everybody march, and and everybody immediately moves forward. But what if our goal, what if efficiency is defined by sanctification, right? Along the way, suddenly congregational polity, the need to wrestle with each other in decision-making, and an examination of worldview, an examination of doctrine, suddenly a congregational polity or a corporate responsibility for those things is incredibly efficient if our goal is turning the stones over in our heart to see what motives are there underneath. And wrestling with each other about the morality and the worldview and the, and, and the transformation of culture, all those things are reflected in our motives in simple decision-making. And if we can push that responsibility in corporately into the local church, of course, there's practice for tools like Matthew 18, how we bring that biblical correction, and for that matter, tools like local leaders in the form of elder, overseer, pastors that are going to emerge and shepherd the flock. All those things build on each other. They catalyze each other, and ultimately, they grow together, right? And, they, and, and the amazing irony the challenges that we would face in releasing such a church to corporate responsibility are actually the catalysts toward their maturity. Hmm. When they have to wrestle together, every time they wrestle, they get up again from the mat stronger hmm. and ready to move forward, right? So, And for that to happen, we have to take the risk that we're not in control. And that's right. If we assume that our presence is necessary to bring the correction, then we will drop the pioneer field 
and we will we will abandon the pioneer work of foundation laying and instead of an epistle ministry instead of a coming and going of disciple making and and deferring to corporate responsibility if we assume our presence is necessary we will be we will ultimately uh, assume a planter to pastor model that denies release, denies corporate responsibility, and ultimately binds us to addition. Uh, it limits our ability to multiply, and for that matter, limits our ability to to recognize and empower, equip leaders from within the harvest, rather than assuming the leadership role ourselves. Hmm. That's, that's one of the major uh, blind spots, I think, in our church planning uh, paradigms in the West. It's always responsibility and authority that grow people. Mm. And the, the, it is a right, it is a pure motive to take concern for depth, theologically, mor- and morality. There's, those are concerns there are purely motivated. And in fact, we see them in Paul, right? We've said it several ways. He struggled with anxiety with the Philippians. And uh, after all of his lashes and 40 lashes minus one and three times beaten with rods and second Corinthians is in chapter 10 or 11 daily on face of all uh, top of all these things. I daily face my concern for all the churches that concern carry is carries a pure motive, but pure motive doesn't always lead us to right practice. Paul released, Paul moved forward, Paul spoke back into those challenges, even in his absence, expecting corporate responsibility that the churches would stand up by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the authority of the word, they would, they would be self-correcting along the way. <laughs>